In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Yesterday, we talked about the dark, sometimes materialistic dialectic of some German philosophers like Bertolt Brecht, or rather poets like Bertolt Brecht, and philosophers like Friedrich Nietzsche, who said that God is dead, and we killed him. It was a very sad and dire vision of the evilness of the 20th century and the 19th century and the, the evil that man can inflict upon one another. But now we have this luminous figure of a young man sitting on a stone that has been rolled away. And he is pointing to the place where all that darkness and all that evil took place. And he's saying, he is not there. All that is left is the shroud in which the painful body of Christ was wrapped. He is not here. This is what the, the holy women see and they flee in terror. You hear about tombs being open and stolen, people going into tombs in order to steal the contents. But here it was, it was somebody leaving from inside to go out. And this filled them with terror. They couldn't understand how could this have happened. They were completely amazed. Cardinal Ratzinger recounts that the, the Jewish philosopher, whose name is Theodor Adorno, had a much more profound view of things in the 20th century than those, those philosophers and poets or let's say a more positive view of things. He said that in the passionate messianic yearning of his people, the Jewish people, he continually asked how a just world, how justice in the world, how could it be created? How could it happen if there were so, so many injustices around? And rather than arrive at the negative vision of people like Bertolt Brecht, which was materialistic, that there's nothing but the material world, he ultimately arrived rather at this insight, if there is to be real justice in the world, it must be for all and 
for all time. And that means that justice for the dead as well. And it would have to be a justice that retroactively heals all past suffering. And this would imply, he said, the resurrection of the dead. But we don't celebrate the resurrection of the dead. We don't celebrate, you know, we, we, we celebrate rather he who was at the origin of the resurrection of the dead. Our Lord told Martha, I am, I am the resurrection. He didn't say, I have resurrected. I am the resurrection. She thought he was talking about the resurrection of the dead that a few, a small handful of Jews at that time began to believe in. And it was not, it was not a widespread belief at that time among the Jewish people. Some did believed in the resurrection of, of the dead, but they did not know yet what was going to be the principle of that resurrection, how it could happen. They, they had inklings, let's say, of it. That's why for those inklings to become real, Christ had to go to the dead and thereby spread the universality of the gospel to all the dead as well, of course, to all the living. And against that background, the, the background of the Jewish people and uh, the followers of Christ at that time, we can hear the message of Easter in this new and luminous way. Christ is risen. There is indeed justice in the world. Evil does not have its last say. There is complete justice for all, which is able to retroactively make good all suffering, <coughs> past suffering. And this is because God exists. God is there. And he has the power to do it. And that's why the today's feast of the resurrection, today's the, the truth of the resurrection is is the, the fundamental reality of what gives us new vision, supernatural vision in everything we do at all times. It's, it's the reframe that we need constantly. St. Bernard of Clairvaux once put it like this. He said, although God cannot suffer, he can be compassionate. And he can be compassionate because he can love. Mm -hmm. He can be compassionate because he can love. And it, it's this power of compassion springing from the power of love which is able to make good the past and create justice, that justice we're talking about, that justice that others didn't see, that justice that others felt could never be created, that they felt overwhelmed by the injustice of the world. And they just saw the, the bleak and the dark. The Nietzsche's of this world, the Bertolt Brecht's of this world. So today, with great joy, we have to integrate into our heart and mind, Christ is risen. He didn't simply rise 
but he is risen. It means that there is a, a power that is able to create justice and is actively creating it now as we speak. Beyond, beyond the COVIDs, the COVID life, uh, beyond hardship. And uh, what well, we can ask, what is the justice and the beauty that you and I create? What is the justice and the beauty, the truth that you and I live in? Well, there's uh, the antiphon to the gospel, which I couldn't figure out right away where it was from. But uh, in today's gospel, there is an antiphon, but they just put the they just put the antiphon there and they don't say where it's from. So I looked it up. It says, "Christ, Christ, our Paschal Lamb has been sacrificed." Let us then feast with joy in the Lord. So in Latin, it'll be, um, well, I didn't write it down here, but the, the, the word feast, let us then feast with joy. It's let us rejoice and make merry for my son that was dead is here and has returned to life. Epulemur. Epulemur, that's the word I was looking for. Epulemur. <coughs> Though the passage is taken from the gospel, the, the letter to the Corinthians, Christ our Passover has been sacrificed, let us celebrate the feast then in the Lord. It is really a copy from the account of the prodigal son. The meaning of the verb Itaque epulemor, let us then feast, let us then rejoice, let us have a meal. That comes right out of the parable of the prodigal son. That's what the father said when his when his when his son was gone. Let us rejoice and make merry, for my son that was dead is here and has returned to life. And that's what he, then he had to go and say to the older son, who was not happy who was seeing injustice because he could not go and you know eat a kid with his uh, with his uh, friends and and he said it is right that we rejoice it is right that we feast epulemor he's kind of saying the father to the elder son away with gloomy faces Let us rejoice, let us feast, let us have a meal. That's the way to rejoice. And you, of course, in your work, are responsible for and take care of this wonderful epulemor, this feasting, this eating. I mean, we can't say, oh no, we're just going to fast during Easter. You know, we're just going to fast, we're not going to eat. It's epulemur, which means it's not like a, a little snack. It's a feast. And like the family of the prodigal son, when they saw the prodigal son come back, everybody got to work, except the older son. But uh, 
there was the fattened calf to kill. He certainly wasn't very happy, but uh, <laughs> you had to catch him, you had to kill him. There were the potatoes to cut. There was uh, the wine to prepare, the vegetables to boil, the sauces, and of course, an aperitivo. That's what the family was doing. And as they were doing all that work, they were rejoicing. They were decorating the plates. They were smelling the beautiful aroma of the, of the food. They were trying to make sure that they had warm plates so they would keep warm. Then the people were so happy because they never suspected that the sun would come back. Maybe they had put up photos of the sun and it was painful to look at those photos. And they were working now, the servants, with great rhythm, great work because because the father of the house was so happy, amazingly, amazingly thrilled. So today as we celebrate Easter, let us look at how joyfully we celebrate the glory of the risen Christ. Or if, we're, if, we, if we insist on being like the elder son in the gloom of you know, the, the Bertolt Brechts of this world, if we're like, you know, the elder son was like Bertolt Brecht or he was like Friedrich Nietzsche. And he was just like, oh, no, we've killed him. Or do I really nourish that joy? Like Pope Francis said, you know, some Christians, they seem to live a Lent without an Easter. So let us rejoice when we celebrate truly the glory of the risen Christ who nourishes us with divine flesh so that we may rise along with him. And for us, the the echo of that Easter joy has to resonate now, even, even during this time of pandemic, when so many things that we would normally take for granted cannot be done. But over the centuries, there have been wars, there have been uh, hardships. And even there, during Easter, people have rejoiced. There have been pandemics in the past, there have been hardships in the past. And God still promises that there can be, after all, true justice, true life, true meaning. Why? Because we are truly loved. Regardless of all the pandemics, regardless of even the deaths, there were, you know, in the group that I'm in of priests that do the 10 minutes with Jesus, every day we, one of us has to present a, a little homily thing for 10 minutes. Among that relatively small group, Three, three lost their fathers this past year. Their, their own father passed away, and we send texts, you know, sending our condolences. It's about all we can do, and we can offer mass. And, uh, but, but even with something as sad as losing one's father, 
we know, nevertheless, we are truly loved. And we will be forever with He who loves us. And though we have to go through hardship and pain in this life, He has that power over death, over all that dysfunction, that dysfunctionality of life in general. So we cannot allow the hardships of life to have the last word to define us. It's what has to define us is that Christ is risen. That's what has to define us. That's the way we have to reframe everything. We listen to the words of Saint Hippolytus, a Roman priest of the third century, who is responsible for the second Eucharistic prayer. It is attributed to him. He greeted this mystery of our faith with these words. He said, Our crucified one, the leader, thou leader of the divine dance, O spiritual festival, O divine pasch, descending from heaven to earth and returning from earth to heaven, O newfound solemnity, assembly of all creation, O universal joy, exaltation and banquet, delight which vanquishes gloomy death, now is abundant life given to every creature and heaven's doors are opened wide. Are opened wide. And that's why also in the preface we say, Christ our Pasch was sacrificed, for he is the true lamb that hath taken away the sins of the world, who by dying has overcome our death, and by rising again has restored our life. I mean, that's a phrase we've heard. It's the preface for Easter. We will hear it during the whole Easter season. He, by rising, he restored our life. So we, we give thanks to God for restoring our life, but also just for loving us, for showing us to the extent to which he loved us. And in the Easter vigil, yesterday we had the Gospel of St. Mark. And as I read the Gospel last night in front of the small crowd that we had, I we had had a rehearsal for it. You know, we had the Easter candle and then we said, okay, you hold the candle, I, I had to hold the, hand, the candle and then, you know, spread the light and all that stuff. You know, we went all through the Easter vigil and all went fine. And... Uh, I was told, okay, well, you do the gospel and then you do homily, whatever. Okay, good. (laughs) All right. But then at the moment, at the moment of doing the gospel, I opened the, uh, you know, the missile, the Lord be with you and everything. And then I see that the text of the gospel is... um, Underlined, almost every line is underlined here, underlined there, underlined here, underlined there. And I can tell it's all my handwriting. Right? And uh, it's in pencil. It's in pencil. So, and it was, had been, I did that, like, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, in order to sing the gospel. 
so that you know you intone here on this you know this uh, this you know Mary Salome whatever you intone here and then you have to go down and then you know, so that's all my my notes to help me properly sing this thing you know and not you know intone go down when you're not supposed to you know you you know you go up when it's a question you know like that you know and there I said darn I didn't prepare this to sing it and uh, I almost almost did it without preparation without practice but I thought that would be like rather imprudent so uh, <laughs> so I didn't do it unfortunately so we just had to read it you know just like straight reading but it's still the gospel and of course the account was the account of the holy women Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Mary Salome who of course had that important task of going to anoint the body right and they were worried, of course, about who will roll away the stone. That's what they were talking about. Who will roll away the stone? It was a big and heavy stone. And we can think now, what is the stone in my way to see the truth of Jesus, to live my vocation really now with Jesus resurrected in my mind, in my heart, that allows me to reframe everything I do that allows me to do my work with a consciousness that that stone, in fact, though it is heavy, has been rolled away. What is the stone that stops me from testifying, from doing apostolate? The stone could be my own fear. The stone could be my lack of sometimes readiness to give of myself. The stone could be big, could be small could be my anxiety, my lack of daring in the apostolate. Maybe we think uh, the stone in front of the tomb is COVID. And uh, I heard a, that there was a, a Baptist, there's a Baptist you know, Negro spiritual that talks about the stone that was rolled away. And I heard of a, a preacher who was preaching about the stone and for him, he said, maybe your stone is that you're just trying to start a business and you can't start a business. <laughs> like as though the only thing in life is starting a business. You know, it was like the prosperity gospel, you know. But, uh, but of course, we know that in the end, it was removed. The stone was gone. So that allowed them to go and continue what they thought was a necessary task, but was in fact an unnecessary task. The unnecessary task of anointing. Mary of Bethany had already anointed him in life. But the stone was not rolled away so that they could go and anoint him. He didn't need anointing. The purpose of anointing was to stave off the bad smell, to stave off in some way to hold back on the corruption. But he was, uh, well, he was not there. But even if he had been there before he had risen, he wouldn't need it because he, his body would not know corruption. But the reason the stone was rolled away, not so that they could go and anoint him, but so that they could see that he was not there. He certainly didn't need to 
remove it so that he could get out. He didn't need to remove it for himself. He needed to remove it for them. He could have gotten out just by going through it, just as he got in and out of the locked doors. But if he had stayed, if he had gone out that way, and they would have seen the, the, the tomb closed, they would have concluded that he was inside. Rationalism would have befallen them, and they would have assumed, well, he's in there. So, he's dead. The logic would have not testified to the truth. That's Nietzsche's uh, rationalism. If, the th- if you don't see him, he must not be there. He must, he must be in there, rather. But who removed that stone? Well, we hear about this angel who sat on it. Maybe he, he's the one who removed it. In that southern Negro spiritual, in the southern U.S., they sing about this stone. Still rolls the stone away. And there's a verse that says, I was locked inside of an unseen grave, shackled by man's fallen state. The door was sealed by Satan's strong hand. There seemed no hope for escape. So dark and lonely was my life. Was there no hope now left for me? But grace lit the darkness, and I could see that old cross, and in his nailed, nail-scarred hands were the key. In his nail-scarred hands were the key. Well, the key was the cross. And then the chorus says, He still rolls the stone away. He still changes hearts that will pray. If you're bound by sin's prison, you don't have to stay. He still rolls the stone away. I can imagine them swaying with this. He still rolls the stone away. He still rolls the stone away. He still rolls the stone away. I don't know. I wish I knew how this song goes. One of you will have to look that one up, but I don't know. I don't know how the song goes. But I'm sure it's a beautiful song. And that's why, of course, today we read the Victime Pascale, the sequence. Victime Pascale, the, about the, the, the Paschal victim. And, of course, the Victime Pascale mentions Mary of Magdalene. And it asks, Dic nobis Maria, quid vidisti in via? Tell us, Mary, speak, Mary, what did you say, see on the way, wayfaring, or what did you see, wayfaring, dic vidistim in via, what did you see on the way? And uh, it talks, the, the, the sequent, sequence talks about the angels and the shroud. What did you see on the way? But it doesn't say anything about the stone rolled away. And it shows the astonishing duel that was to be fought out between 
basically life, death and life in the in the hidden arena of Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. And it is said that our ferryman Christ, having been sacrificed on the cross, went out to challenge this death in the dark domain where its victims lay imprisoned in the underworld. And now he was gone. And ultimately what what Mary Magdalene saw was that that he was not there. That was for her the the truth of the empty tomb that helped her and the other women to rush forward and give testimony to what to that emptiness and with what joy with what excitement they ran to the apostles everywhere today no doubt you will send texts and emails and messages to people he is risen alleluia and it's good that we tell people that and we remind them of that but also that we show them that we are truly profoundly happy that our faith affects us that it it leads us to reframe it you know yes there's covid yes there have been deaths but christ has overcome death christ overcomes all that and we are fully and deeply aware of his love for us and that we are united to him let's not be uh, hampered by the fear of the heavy stones in our life the lord will take them away he'll roll them away whatever it means he wants so that we can see that he has risen and overcome death let's ask our blessed mother as we finish our meditation this morning with joy to help us re-anchor this truth in our life and give a testimony to all those around us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.